thinking a little bit about the crowd being small and maybe I should tell you guys that some of our people up are at, uh, I think, I know Trenton's there and some of the youth was going, I think, uh, Cleora. Now, David said yes, so I got a certain, I mean, I got a witness, I guess is what you would call that. And so, uh, you know, sometimes we can get frustrated because Truett, not Truett, what's that middle child of mine's name? Trenton. He let me know over lunch today that they wouldn't be here tonight. And I asked the why of it, and he said, well, you know where we travel up there and do vacation Bible school? They're having revival, and because of their lack of people, they ask us if we would come and do something with the kiddos. And, you know, sometimes that can get a little frustration because, man, them churches need to have numbers and handle that stuff. But how blessed are we to be able to send people into those places and be a tool in God's hand because we've got to remember, and I was reminded that, this thing is not about exciting Southeast Baptist. This thing is about the kingdom of God, the glory of God, and not a local church. It's about the church. And so we ought to really thank God that we can be used in those areas. I traveled to Wheaton last night. David traveled. Some of you have traveled. Harold and Pidge go to Little Kansas, nursing home ministries, and, and all these things. But listen to me. We ought to be glad that God has showed us and blessed us with things that are bigger than exciting Southeast Baptist. Because when we get to heaven, guess what we're all going to realize is this thing was way bigger than a pastor, way bigger than a congregation, way bigger than a local church. This thing was huge because it was all about the kingdom of God for the glory of God. And so thankful for that to happen, I've deviated from the Psalms tonight. Because last week I preached three funerals, that be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And when I got the news of the one Wednesday from Miss Kelly, I simply asked her to put on social media, that was on a Monday, that if anybody wanted to die, do it, because I've got Thursday and Friday wide open. But she didn't take me serious and didn't put it on there and nobody called. So I had the privilege of no funerals on Thursday and Friday. But often, and you guys have been here long enough to know that them funerals seem like they come in bunches for me. It seems like, man, there won't be one, there won't be one, and then here they come, four, five, in just a, a short time. And that made four just in the last ten days. But that last song, When I Die, Give Me Jesus. Let me, let me start out with that first line on that song, In the Morning. So I preached last night to the men's group, and I was really just easily identified, just what I preached here a few weeks ago, and we're going back there tonight. And there was a man, it was a men's rally, and he stood up when I extended the invitation, and 
he just raised his hand. He said, well, I'm just going to tell you, I can't hit that mark. I'm just going to tell you I'm human. And I'm not always easily identified. I'm just going to tell you something. Every night I have to ask God to forgive me because I'm just human. Pretty much just saying to me, I can't do what you just said. So I just took, since he interrupted that invitation that God was trying to extend, and I said, let's just take from what this man on the second row said and learn from it. Because I'm convinced it don't matter how few the crowd is or what the message is or if you're the messenger or if you're getting the message, we can all learn something. And I learned something when he said that. Because he wanted to... Kind of, the devil, I don't think it was him. I think the devil wanted to hinder an invitation by us justifying that we can't reach that mark. Come on, that we can't be easily identified by our faith, our fruits, and our fellowship. So I just took what that man said and I said, let's learn something from what this man said. He said he has to go to God every night and confess his sins and ask for forgiveness. Let's turn that, and brother, won't you start going to God every morning? And maybe if we go to God every morning, when it comes nighttime, just possibly we don't have to confess as many mistakes that we made. It seems like sometimes we wait till night to go to Him. So can we learn from the men's retreat what I learned last night? If we'd go to Him early in the morning, we wouldn't have near as many sins and wrongs to try to right at night. So we ought to take word from that song, and we ought to hit our knees and say, in the morning, give me Jesus. Guide me, direct me. Let me be easily identified as a Christian. Amen? Well, sometimes we just justify our actions and say, I'm only human, and I have to go confess my sins. And I'm just convinced if we'd seek Him in the morning, we might have less sins to confess at night. Amen? And then another thing, that was last night, but just tonight, can I add something when we begin to pray for those that suffer in addictions? I mean, if anybody here should have knew to add it, I've been saying for four weeks now, pray for the addicts. That can be drugs, that can be alcohol, and that can be pornography. But you see that guy right back there in the red shirt? He reminded me when he come and prayed. He was delivered from an addiction. He thanked the Lord right there beside me by way of prayer of delivering him from that addiction. He thanked the Lord right there beside me for this very church that was here and open and helped deliver him from that addiction. Now, some of you know Marty, you know what that addiction is, and that's gambling. Right there is a picture of an addict. He said it about bankrupting. But guess who showed up? Jesus. And delivered him from that addiction. So I learned something as the preacher here tonight. Man, I need to include when we're praying for addicts, it ain't just alcohol and it's not just drugs and it's not just pornography. We live in a time where there's almost a casino to match every church. There's one on every corner. And guess what? It's feeding addiction to gambling. Amen. So we can start including that addiction to gambling in our prayers. 
But now that I've went back to that, let me go back to the three funerals. I want to address funerals right now with you. And I want to address funerals with you right now because when we're planning the funeral for you or your family because a heart is broken, broken, when death comes, I can't address funerals at that time. I can't just get right down where the rubber meets the road and really address funerals when you're planning one. I want everybody to look at me. Is anybody planning a funeral today or tomorrow? Heard it over here. Not that we know of. I don't think even tomorrow it'll happen if you don't know of it right now. It would probably lean on over to Tuesday. So I, I, I want to address funerals before you have such a sensitive and broken heart planning one. And here's what you've got to decide about you and your family members' funeral. What do you want? What is the purpose? And you decide that now, and that will help you right now when it comes time to plan it. I'm just telling you, when you're planning a funeral, and, and it's, it, it's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, you have a broken heart. Your emotions are roller coastering. And so when you begin to plan that funeral, you get to thinking of all the things that you want to throw in there, and all of a sudden, a funeral can really not do what you decided you wanted it to do before it was you or one of your family members. Now, some of you are looking at me awful funny and say, man, where's this going? Just decide right now. What do you and your family, what do you want? What is the purpose at your funeral? Well, I will share mine. And then you can decide yours. Let me tell you what a funeral does. It will draw in people that seldom or even some that's never heard the gospel. And the truth of the matter is, nobody likes funerals. So really nobody wants to be at the funeral, right? But my purpose is, I'm going to have people that I've invited invited and invited to church. Couldn't get them to come, shared the gospel at times, but there's going to be people come to my funeral and because they come, I don't want them to hear a whole lot about Rob Pierce. If they're there, guess what? They know a lot about Rob Pierce. They don't need ten of my family members getting up and sharing stories about Rob Pierce. They need a, a, a guy that stands up here and says, Man, everybody in here tonight's probably got a Rob Pierce story. 
Because if they're at your funeral, they probably have a story. Cherish those stories. Death has taken Rob from us, but it can't take your Rob Pierce stories and memories. That's enough about Rob. What did that take? 30 seconds? And then I want somebody, maybe after one song, maybe before we ever play a song, I want somebody before they their attention goes somewhere else, I want somebody giving them the gospel. If my funeral, and I hope it's at 6 o'clock on Sunday night, I've got one more chance to get the Sunday morning crowd back for Sunday night. That's why I want my funeral to be 6 o'clock Sunday night. If I die on a Monday, put me on ice till next Sunday. I've got one more shot to get a crowd back on Sunday. They don't need to be missing work on my behalf. But I want you to listen. I have had families tell me that the number one reason that their loved one wanted me to preach their funeral is because they knew that I was going to present the gospel to their lost family and their lost friends. And if you was to ask me, and you've heard me say this before, when people say, Rob, what do you contribute to the growth of exciting Southeast Baptist? A lot of things, but if you had to say the number one contributor of growth to your church, I've always said, it's funerals I've preached. After I preach a funeral, if it's anywhere close to Telequah or Pryor, you can rest assured if I've preached a funeral that week, more than likely we're going to have a couple of guests, first-time visitors that's come. I would say funerals has to be close to the number one contributor of the growth here. People have, have heard a simple message at a funeral where they did not want to be and it stirred their curiosity and they come to see what exciting Southeast Baptist is about. And what's this guy preach when it's not a funeral? So here's where I'm going with this. I'm addressing your funeral tonight because I can't address it when your heart's broken and your emotions are on a roller coaster. What do you want your funeral? I just told you. Somebody remind them, Rob's gone, but you got your memories. Remember them if you want. Throw them in the trash if you want. And I hope there's quickly somebody stands up and shares the gospel. And I often hear that from families, and then here's what happens. Here's our order of service. Now be sure and get the gospel in. Okay. After five songs, after another preacher, reading the obituary. Can I stop at the obituary? Can I stop at the obituary? That obituary is printed in the memorial. And I've watched these funeral crowds come in at least some 30 minutes, but most people 15 minutes before. But I've watched them if they walk in right when it starts. Can I borrow this? I'll give it right back for notes, Pidge. And I walk them, watch in, walk in late as the family's coming in, and they immediately open that memorial, and you can see. 
And so we've had a crowd here for 30, 15 to 30 minutes, and even the latecomers, they've read the obituary. The ones that here was 30 minutes before, they've read it. Ask everybody around them who oh so-and-so was. Didn't know he died. Everybody in there's read the obituary numerous times, and we're going to take an additional three minutes, five minutes, to read an obituary and take the chance of getting mad at a pastor because he butchers, butchers somebody's name Listen to me. I'm not being mean tonight. But can you tell me, other than tradition, why we have to read something that everybody in the house can or has read by now three or four times and discussed it with the people that sit next time? Do you understand what I'm saying? We've already taken precious minutes from getting to the gospel. And you say, Rob, you just worry about time too much. You're right. I don't worry about it much on Sunday mornings because you guys tell me you want to be here. There ain't nobody wants to be at a funeral. And a lot of people think it's the wrong place to present the gospel. And we got to get the gospel presented to a bunch of people that don't want to be there. So let's don't take five minutes rereading them something that's already been read, insulting their intelligence. And I promise you, taking a huge chance of me making the family mad because I mispronounced some of these weird spelled names in these days. Man, if I was you right now, my family knows, do not read my obituary. If they can't read, they can find somebody else to read it to them. Get to the gospel. And so here they come. They've told me all the gospel was the most important thing to daddy. I mean, you've got to preach the gospel. I want you to present the gospel. That's why he told me he wanted you. You've got to get to the gospel. But after these five songs and that other preacher reads the obituary, we got cousin John. Well, he's a second cousin, but he wants to get up and read some memories that, that three of the other cousins has written down for him. And then after we play those five songs and we read that obituary and Cousin John gets up and he's going to read what three other cousins said, if you don't mind, we'd like to play a couple more songs and then you get after it. Give them the gospel. Did I remind you the people there don't want to be there? Did I tell you the mind can only absorb what the butt can endure? Can I tell you, one of the funerals started at 2 o'clock. And I had two messages because I wasn't sure which one God was leading me. But I was instructed the gospel was the most important part of this message. When I stepped up there, that funeral started at 2 o'clock. And when I stepped up there, after seeing about four people leave, didn't get the gospel. When I stepped to the pulpit, it was 2.53. You can tell me the gospel's the most important thing, but the truth of the matter is, I don't believe you. And I'm telling you right now, before you get full of emotions 
and caught up in a funeral, if the gospel's the most important thing to you, let me tell you what you ought to do. You can have all them other things. I'm not saying there's a right way or wrong way. I'm asking you to determine right now what you want from your funeral. And if you want all those other things, maybe you should just step to that preacher and say, we're going to let you go first because you've got the most important part. You've got the gospel. And we want to make sure before anybody gets tired, worn out, and leaves, we want to make sure everybody here hears the gospel. And I've said this before, it really don't matter whether it's a funeral, whether it's just an everyday service. If the service goes long, I know who gets the blame. It's me. And I almost, on that funeral, stepped up at 2.53. I didn't even pick up one of the messages. I stepped up, and I looked at the clock. It took me exactly eight minutes to preach that message. And when they was leaving, if it wasn't for a long-winded preacher, (laughs) I said, well, doggone it. But I'm going to tell you, we'd done lost their attention. I done my very best to get up with some fire and fervor and draw them back in. But the truth of the matter is, when you lose some, you're never going to draw them back in. Do you realize people don't want to be at funerals? You got one shot at them, and you better get take that shot in the first fifteen minutes, or you're not going to get it. Listen, we've got. To, I preached my great uncles. We got to the cemetery, and I literally preached about a 15-minute message. We got to the cemetery, and he got out. He said, if you do mine, you got 10 minutes. I said, I didn't take much longer than that anyway over there. You need to think about all the other things that went on. You got 10 minutes. I said, well, I got news for you. If I do do yours, I can take all the time I want. You can't do a thing about it. And you know what he told me? I'll come back and haunt you. <laughs> I didn't believe him, Dave. I don't think he can. So, you ought to really consider, and you really ought to let somebody know what you want at your funeral. And I address that tonight because... Folks, when I sit down with you or your family and them emotions are running like that and your heart is shattered, I can give you all the suggestions you want. But unless you decide it pre-heartbreak, pre-emotions going on a roller coaster, it really don't matter what the funeral director that's telling everybody, 20 pictures is plenty. (laughs) 50, 60 pictures, videos that go 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Come on, people. Why does that funeral home director tell you 20 pictures is plenty? They know. They watch people get up and leave those services. They see. But I've sat down with family and they they, they just said 20, but we've got 56. You just sure to got three times too many, and that's just going to be another 12 minutes. So here it is. 
Why is this so heavy on my heart? I walk into visitation last week. It's my great uncle. One of those second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth cousins. I don't know how far down the line they are. But they come to me and said, well, this is it. Last of the Mohicans. Last of the Pierce boys. And when they said that, that would be my grandpa and his siblings. But see, in that my grandpa's side and my grandma's side, there was a couple of them married sisters. And so in February, my grandmother was the last of the whole side. But because of marrying sisters, brothers marrying sisters, guess what? At these funerals, I see both sides of the family. And so this cousin tells me when I walk into visitation, last of the Pierce boys. I said, yep. And he said, last of the Hope Bunch back in February, huh? I said, yep. And then he says to me, and you've preached about all of them. I didn't know the exact number then, but there was 12 when you counted both sides, and I had preached eight of them. I said, I've not preached all of them, but a lot of them. And he looked at me and he said, well, here's one thing for sure. You won't preach another one of them, will you? Well, when that's the last of them, that's the truth of the matter. You're not going to get another one of them Pierce boys or girls. I said, I guess that's right. And then I looked at him and I simply said, so that tells me I got one more shot at some of you. I better take it pretty serious because some of you will never hear me preach again. And I try to be as honest as I can at every funeral. But man, when it's family and you care about them that much more, you just want to reach some of them that's so hard to reach. So when I preach a family member's funeral, you want me to tell you what I hear? Some of them are just bold enough to say it right to my face. You know what they tell me? Boy, you're narrow-minded and judgmental. And then there's some in the family, and I'm sure you got them too. They'd never say it to you, but it gets back to you. Boy, old so-and-so didn't like what you said at old so-and-so's funeral. They said you're pretty narrow-minded and judgmental. Folks, when it comes to Jesus being the only way to heaven, I want to tell you something. I'm going to be narrow-minded. So narrow-minded, I can look through a keyhole with both eyes. That's how narrow-minded we need to be. That's not being judgmental. So let me tell you what I've done at my great-uncle's funeral. I had uh, This is the last one. I got one shot at him. And I wanted to make it plain, and I wanted to make it simple. And I'm going to tell you what God done. He gave me a pretty good last one. Because you remember the sermon, easily identified. Let me tell you about this last Pierce man, my great uncle. He was easily identified. And so I started out. Now, this is my family, and there's some that's just pretty liberal. I'm sure your family's got a handful of them. I started out and just told my family sitting there, you know, we've kind of had an identity crisis around here for a few years. 
And I know who's sitting in the crowd. And I said, we've come to a place that we've got men that want to identify as women. And we got women that want to identify as men. And I said, and honestly, it's real easy. And you remember the sermon. I just told my family the same thing I told you. It's real easy to identify somebody's gender. If you doubt that, rent the movie Crocodile Dundee. If you doubt that, I've got a three-year-old grandson. You can go talk to him. But then I said, but God's had this issue for a while. And I said to my family, some people call themselves Christians, but there's nothing like Christ. Some people say that Jesus Christ is their Lord, but they do not do one thing that He says. And so I just said to my family, you can call yourself a Christian and be the farthest thing from it. You can call Jesus Christ your Lord, but that don't really mean He's your Lord. And I just want to be real honest with you, my family here today, I told them. You've been like me before I got saved. You've listened to the world and what it says about judging. See, every time we say a Christian should be easily identified, you people that's listened to the lie of the world says, we're not supposed to judge. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you do with 1 Corinthians 13, 5, 13, 1? See, some of you sitting right inside the church get a little bit hung up and high-centered on that. What do you do with 1 Corinthians 13, 1? What does it say? If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged with the world. Where the Bible says, do not judge, it's talking about, I can't judge by my opinion, Harold Bible. I cannot have a plank in my eye and judge him with a speck in his. You can't do that. And the Bible says don't judge like that. With what judgment you judge with, you'll be judged back. And I just shared with my family, right here's what judges us. If we would open this Bible and judge ourselves according to it, we would not be judged with the world. As a born-again child of God, we ought to hold each other by each ever we ought to hold each other accountable to live by thus saith the Word of God. Because the Word of God says if we would judge ourselves, we wouldn't be judged with the world. And I just let them know this book is now judging you, has been judging you, and one day when you stand before God, it's going to judge you. And you need to understand right here today, a Christian should be easily identified and I just simply pointed to that box in front of that pulpit and I said oh Dole he was pretty easily identified he called himself a Christian and he was Christ like he called Jesus Christ Lord and he done his best to follow the instructions of the Lord and if you remember the point here's what I done I use the first point. You could easily identify a Christian. You can easily identify a doll by his faith. Now, none of us ever saw 
Doyle's God. But if you knew Doyle and watched him live his life, you saw his faith in his God. His God's the same God I got. And nobody's ever seen my God. I've not even saw my God. But people see my faith. And I just simply shared, didn't go into detail. It's a funeral. They didn't want to be there. You told me you want to be here tonight. I'll preach all night. I said, listen, nobody ever saw Noah's God. But when he was building that ark, everybody in that community saw his faith. They didn't see his God. They saw his faith in his God. And guess what? They thought he was crazy just like some of you here think I'm crazy. But they thought differently. They had saw his faith, thought he was crazy. But I'm telling you, they thought differently when the rain began to fall. They thought differently when God, not Noah, shut the door. They thought differently when they was drowning and taking their last breath. And here is the deal. They had no excuse because they saw, not Noah's God, Noah's faith. And guess what? If you've known Doyle any time at all, you've never seen his God, but you saw his faith. And here's what I shared with to close that point out. Faith isn't just something you live by. Faith is something you die by. And you know what the kids said about Uncle Doyle as he died? Weak and feeble. The last two days, Scripture just flowed out of his mouth. And Scripture after Scripture was quoted. I'm going to tell you, he was easily identified. He lived by faith. But when death was close and coming to him, he died by faith. They couldn't see his God in that bedroom. But they could see his faith as he quoted the Word of God. Easily identified by his faith. Now, come on, I'm preaching to a bunch that thinks I'm narrow-minded and judgmental. And I just simply said, secondly... We know Doyle by his fruits. And I just took that and asked my family, what is that? And you know what my family said that was? Look at it. Let's just pretend you're my family. What am I holding up? They done the same thing you did. They said that was an apple. And I just said it on the pulpit. And then I held that right up there. And I asked my family. I'm going to ask you like I'm going to pretend you're my family. I said, what is that? They said exactly what you said. Now keep in mind, this is the bunch that thinks I'm narrow-minded and judgmental. I then held up that. And I held that up and I said, and I bought a tomato on purpose because I needed to tell you folks something. Wisdom is knowing that a tomato is a fruit and knowledge is not putting it in a fruit salad. And so I just put all three of those fruits up there and my family said, that's an apple. That's a banana and that's a tomato. And keep in mind, I'm preaching to the bunch that thinks I'm narrow-minded and judgmental. So I just hold it up and I said, to say that's an apple, that's pretty narrow-minded. 
Maybe that apple wants to be a banana. It'd be pretty narrow-minded, pretty judgmental to call that an apple, wouldn't it? What if it wants to be a banana? Come on, I'm talking to the group that says I'm narrow-minded and judgmental. You call it a banana? Kind of narrow-minded and judgmental, isn't it? What if that wants to be a tomato? Boy, if looks could have killed at that point, I could have planned my funeral. Folks, what I showed them was facts. Not narrow-minded to call something what it is. It's an apple. Not judgmental to call something what it is. It's an apple. And our Bibles tell us, you will know a tree by its fruits. It's not narrow-minded and judgmental. When we see and easily identify a Christian by their fruits, is it? No, I'll answer it for you. A fact's a fact. If they're living by faith, it's a fact. And I just simply said, a good tree don't bear bad fruit. A bad tree don't bear good fruit. And any tree that don't bear good fruit's cut down, thrown into the lake of fire. And then I said, and the fruit of the Spirit is this. And I just kept pointing to the casket. He's easily identified. And I said, door was full of love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You could easily identify him because when the world squeezed him, what was inside is what come out. I got a text this week from one of the new converts. I say a new convert, about a year old in Christ, having a little trouble at work. And here's what he said. They've poked fun at me. They've mocked me. And they're trying to get under my skin. I just text back. That's the best place for them to get because if they get under your skin, that's where Jesus is supposed to be. Well, if we just get up of a morning, said, God, help me to be easily identified. Fill me with the fruit of the Spirit because I know some old lost co-worker is going to try to get under my skin. And if I'm living by the Spirit, that's the best place for them to be because when they get under my skin, they're going to see love and they're going to see joy and they're going to see peace and they're going to see patience and they're going to see goodness and they're going to see gentleness and they're going to see kindness and they're going to see self-control. Come on, have you ever thought about it like that? Boy, they're trying to get under my skin. If we're really... Living our life in the Spirit, that is the best place for a lost person to get because that's simply where Jesus should be. Amen. And then I just simply close that funeral. I'm taking a lot longer here because I'm wanting you to think about your funeral. I said, and he was easily identified not only by his faith, not only by his fruits, but because of his fellowship. So many people say they can be saved, but they don't have to go to church to be saved. I just simply shared with my family, if what's in your heart don't get you to church, you really should be concerned whether it's going to get you to heaven. And the Bible told us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. 
And man, old Doyle was so easily identified by his fellowship. 37 years at the same church. And before he spent his 37 there, I believe it was 12 at his previous church. And he was there every time the doors opened when he was able. Encouraging one another. Stirring up good works. I don't think it was coincidence that I had one more shot at my family. And it was one of those great uncles that was easily identified by his faith, by his fruit, and by his fellowship. Now, there's preachers that'll get up and preach that sermon, and it really don't matter who the person in the casket is. And I learned early not to do that. Because it was a man I didn't know very well. And I got up and just preached him next to Jesus, the holiest man on earth. And while I was preaching it, a guy got up. At my first funeral, I didn't know it. He come up there and opened up the casket while I was preaching. And he looked in there. He said, that's him. He shut it down. I said, what do you mean that's him? He said, well, the way you was talking about that guy, I thought, I'm at the wrong funeral. That ain't the guy I knew. That must be the wrong guy in that casket. That really didn't happen. Some of you is going, oh, my gosh. But let me just ask you something. How many preachers get up and preach everybody to heaven and how good and how holy and how godly they live their life and somebody's sitting out there, I guarantee you, if that's the man I know, he ain't in that casket. Folks, at my funeral, I hope somebody can preach. He was easily identified. There ain't no wondering if this man laying in this casket loved Jesus. We saw it in his faith. We saw it in his fruit. And we saw it in his fellowship. And I hope everybody in there can say he was easily identified. And the one that made the difference was Jesus. You got to decide right now. What do you want at your funeral? And if you want the gospel preached, there's a prerequisite. You ready? The gospel's got to be lived. Because if you don't live it, it really don't matter if the preacher preaches it. Because you was a stumbling block in front of them. And here's simply what I shared with my family. One of two things. Some of you call yourself a Christian and you're not. you got a fake ID. And I went through it just like I did here. Fake ID might have got you in some bar at Houston. Fake ID might have got you in El Paso City Limits. Fake ID might have got you into casino, caravan, Tulsa City Limits. But I just shared with my family, rest assured, a fake ID won't get you to heaven. you got to be the real deal. Call yourself what you want. But unless you are saved and born again, fake ID won't get you in. And then I just simply shared some of you here, maybe your ID's been stolen. You don't have the faith you once did. You don't bear the fruits you once did. I know I've re-preached a sermon you've heard recently. But sometimes, because I'm the same way, I can hear a sermon and it can convict me and I know I need a change.
And that conviction will even go with me a day or two. And within the third and fourth day, you know that conviction? It'll kind of leave you. I'm convinced that sermon, a Christian should be easily identified, probably convicted the whole crowd. And so I didn't think there'd be a thing wrong with coming back about three weeks later on a Sunday night and reminding you we should be easily identified. And where that's really going to get real is when your body is laying in a box. It's going to get real in a hurry. Amen. If you're here tonight, we've done singer songs. You've got something to chew on. If you're here tonight and you're lost without Jesus, don't leave here. Can you get saved in little rooms beside the pastor's office, Marty? Don't have to give an invitation, do you? There you go. God's invitation is always open. Come in an hour after the service was over and in the office, give his heart and life to Jesus and delivered from a gambling addiction, never to be the same again. Amen. I'm not going to extend an invitation. I think we ought all to leave here and thinking about what do I want at my funeral. And what I want at my funeral is the gospel. I want somebody to lip it, but it isn't going to do no good if I don't live it before that funeral. Father, I pray that you just bless as we leave here, that we'll chew on and think about the message that you've given us now twice, that we as Christians should be easily identified. Lord, help us not to call you Lord and not do the things you say. If we say you're Lord of our life, help us to be obedient to the best we can to do as you say. Father, if we call ourselves Christians, may we be like a little Christ, because that's what it means. Father, help us to be real and be what we are. Father, help us to be easily identified as we go out into the world this week. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless and thank you guys. And I don't think you're being narrow-minded and judgmental calling that an apple.